Welcome to the Start Here podcast for web development. I'm Keith Monahan, And I'm Dane Miller. And we're here to show you how to build a career in web dev. You can find us online at starthere.fm. Keith, I have an idea. What's that? We need to redesign the website. Dude, we totally need to redesign. And we need to do it quickly. We should rebuild the website. Re- we should rebuild the entire thing. Should we build, rebuild it from scratch? Uh, we should. I think. I think that. I think it needs it. I think so too. Okay. We've talked about how it'd be fun to have a start here network and add more podcasts on our current website. We can only have one podcast with our with our current site design. That's a huge limitation, and and we definitely are interested in providing more sort of educational outlets. I think so. It's about mm. time. And then there's the whole community engagement i mean comments on posts are great but yeah i think some other way of facilitating engagement would be better yeah we we do have a couple things and so me and keith have already discussed this off the air so i'm sort of breaking the fourth wall and we've already discussed a lot of this off the air and uh you know there is a lot of stuff like with the current implementation of our website that at Uh first might seem like it's not a big deal and it's okay, but actually it's sort of create, creatively limiting. For sure. In a way. Yeah. So we want to rebuild a website and we want to do it on the air. We want to take this as a project uh, for you guys. So we're going to approach this from the client freelance uh, perspective where maybe we are clients who need a new redesign and we'll be talking to you about what we want and what we need and then... Um, Having a conversation. Yeah, and we're going to role play the conversation, and it's going to start today. There's different stages of a project. And, you know, the first stage is going to be you having a uh, just kind of an introductory conversation with the client to find out, to understand um, what they want to do and where they want to go. And then you would come back to them with some sort of a proposal and a quote. You know, after that, you might get with the client and do like, gather more of the requirements, maybe in a longer meeting and try and understand exactly what they want with their project, whether it's yeah. a website or an app or something like that. That's the the requirements gathering. Um, after that, you might do mock-ups or wireframes and then a style guide and then and actually start building the design and then doing the, the back-end development. And so these are stages that we want to walk you through so that you can kind of get an inside glimpse into the different aspects of like a website project. So starts the series. And this is, you know, definitely, and we talk about this a little bit later in the episode as well, but we we definitely want this to be like an open source process. You know, there's not a lot of production behind what we do in in a sense. Like we don't have a, a big budget or a team. Um, so the quality of stuff that we can do is only the quality of stuff that we do actually do in our freelancer lives i mean it's not like we're going to give you an open source um agency's guidelines that makes five million dollars a year because me and keith don't run agencies that make that type of money so the type of uh process that we're about to open source is very much uh geared towards newcomers it's down to earth you know this is something that me and keith have been doing for years and we started from scratch and we've been doing it over and over so you know, we've definitely sort of nailed down how this works, and that's what we're going to unfold, I think. Yeah, and so we're going to dive right into what we want for the website. Let's do it. Okay, so let's think this through. Okay. What do we want done? 
yes. we want a website to be built. The website needs to be able to have an RSS feed. It needs to be able to handle multiple shows yes. um, with multiple episodes for each show and then multiple yes. hosts that could be on any number of uh, shows. Yeah. And, and any number of guests that could be on any number of shows with distinct people uh, saved without duplicates. So we want to have um, guest profiles as well or just include guests inside the show notes? So good question. I was thinking from a database perspective, I need to climb up a little bit. Um, so from a you uh, sort of like site-wide perspective, I don't know. I mean, I think the fact that we need guests is maybe enough, right? Because like doesn't matter where I'm talking about putting the guests. Well, that's a question I would ask as a web developer. That is? Yeah, right? it is for sure. Do you want the guests to be – okay, so here's the question I would ask. Do you expect okay. to have guests, uh, the same guest, back on the show more than a few times? So what you're asking, I feel like, is the same question worded a different way. Uh, could be, do you want to have more than one guest? Do you want to have a, a like, you know, do you want multiple people on shows and multiple people on episodes and can those people be the same individual pe person i think the answer to that question is the same right like so is that what you're getting at like how to set up the sort of schema we're talking about having three basic objects the show the episode and hosts it, people right because then yeah, people. people can be hosts or guests but do we have to do, but do we need to include guests as people can we just talk about the guests in the show notes themselves and oh, not sure. include the guests well, so, as okay. people. Great point. Like this totally does bring up a business thing. So like the the business uh, purpose of having guests be an individual person record mm -hmm. in the database right. to me would be that we can add attributes like mm -hmm. URL, Twitter account. And then when mm -hmm. we're writing those show notes, they become more interactive and mm -hmm. thereby the guests are more prompted to come on the show if we ever were to have a big enough audience mm -hmm. that such a thing would be a benefit. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. No, no, I totally understand. I guess that's understand. the same thing as like writing the HTML yourself by hand in the show notes, right? I mean, well, it's no, like you could, you could you're, put a link. You're right. You do. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the idea. If you're only ever going to have one guest, if you're only going to have uh, any given guest on the show once, then okay. you don't need to reuse their information. You can literally hand code it. Yeah, but not hand code it. Have, just type it in with links, whatever. But if you're you're right, if you're but if you're going to have that guest on more than one episode, right? Then you don't want to hand code it because it's duplicate. Except if it's just two episodes or three episodes, it, then it doesn't really right. matter. But if we're right. talking Unless about having returning guests, having many returning guests, then it becomes an issue of like, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's we're on the same page. Okay, like, totally. okay. What do we want? And, to do? and so, from a business perspective, for like, us, then, what like, do yeah, we want? To yeah, do? yeah, exactly. We need to answer the question of like, do will we ever have a show that's like that? And potentially, I think the answer to that is we're building a network theoretically, and we're building a series of shows that theoretically could or could not have a number of guests on them. I mean. What do you what do you think? What would you say? Yeah, it's quite possible, and I, I I tend towards liking the idea of having them structured because you can. I mean, once it's in the database, you can display it however you want, and you can use that information. It, yeah. it, the information is reusable in any other way once it's in the database, and so I like that. Yeah. But the downside is that you know you're collecting and then inputting, and then of course the initial programming to get it all up and going. But if it's the same essential attributes as a host. 
or even exactly the same attributes as a host might have, then it's literally just a field that says this person is a host or a guest. Yeah, all you would do, yeah, exactly. You would go in every day that you go to publish an episode if you have a lot of guests. You would normally go into the database. You would go into like an admin console and be like, add a person, like add a new person. And then you would go to the episode that you're about to publish. And then you'd be like, what guests were on this episode from those people yeah from the person select this select this select this yeah these guests were a part of it and then that that's like a rough concept for an admin area that's a really ugly ui obviously but like that's a idea of how we could do an admin area and Mm -hmm. i think you know that validates the the concept right like that totally makes sense to me does that though uh then mean it affects any other part of our system so like for instance okay it does because When we, uh, okay, if we're going to include data about guests in the database, then I would want to perhaps display that data, if not, if, if not just maybe name and Twitter handle or name and occupation or something like that, um, along with the episodes, when the episodes are displayed either on the homepage or in any other kind of list where we can say, Uh Hey, the episode is this, here's the, here's the, um, here's the description of the episode. And then here are the, the featured guests that were on that, on that episode. Um, so stylistically it could if we wanted to do that yeah and because we save it in the database and link back to the episode we could totally do that like in the ui we could make the guests very prominent and then use dynamic you know dynamic obviously like we'll get the object dynamically mm-hmm. and iterate over all the guests and simply display them right we could do that okay i mean that, would, I think that actually makes that actually uh, solidifies the point that we do need get people mm-hmm. in the database because of the simple fact that we cannot do dynamic programming if we don't yes what do you think like the next entity was would be is what i was going to ask right so shows episodes people so i don't think there's many other entities maybe that's not that interesting let's just go into what does a show do like what is the like what are the get like give me the high level overview of what you think of on a mm-hmm. website like when you think of a show like what kind of attributes what mm-hmm. kind of things etc so i think the sh- each each show and by show we're talking about each uh separate podcast will have its own artwork that should be displayed prominently. They're going to have hosts, okay. uh, one potentially one or more hosts to each one. There's going to be a description for the show. It may have categories or tags or something that kind of describe it further in a granular kind of way. And so I'm playing the role of the web developer freelancer yeah. right now. So yeah. I'm going to ask you as the business owner, how many shows do you think – this network could potentially ever have good call because yeah good question because that that will change the structure of the site you know if there there's definitely a different way to lay out the site if you have 10 episodes 10 shows compared to 200 but also there's a that is 100 percent accurate from a front-end perspective but from a back-end perspective we also have to keep in mind that financially uh, it might uh, it would be dramatically different if if you told me that you had 200 shows because then I would immediately know that I need to start setting up CDN mm. uh, a CDN um you know uh, m- making sure that everything is properly distributed across edge edge locations yeah and then you have to think about okay well the images are off on a CDN that's cool but then the media content like Hmm. Um, if you have 200 shows, so, but, it, but what would you say? Maybe yeah, I think, 10? Yeah, I think five to 10. 
Okay. Um, Seems reasonable. And, and that 10. actually reduces a lot of complexity because then we don't have to worry so much about, oh, do we find an audio-specific CDN and an image-specific CDN? And, like, do we do all these sorts of analyses? I think mm-hmm. we can just say 5 to 10 is is okay. That's a that's sort of a – as a freelancer, you commonly will, will make a judgment. And here I'm going to make a judgment that – Five to ten shows isn't enough to really ever worry about even raising a concern yeah. in a meeting like this. So I would just definitely keep going. For sure. Okay. Yeah. So five to ten shows. And then I think that each show should be highlighted on the homepage. And I don't know. I think it would be fun to show either you know at least the most recent episode or maybe the most recent two or three episodes. Okay, so real quick, backing up, you before you mentioned that, you mentioned tagging. And as a freelancer, uh, I would have to ask you, what sort of tagging feature do you have in mind? Are you thinking of industry standard many-to-many tags, or do you have some specialty tagging functions that you want? Yeah, I guess I don't know what you mean. Like, um, I, I just meant for categorizing purposes. Like, is maybe... Right, so that's tags. Okay, yeah, so, so like this... I think iTunes has a list of categories that, um, like a predetermined list of categories that we could pick from, and so it would be essentially it would be those those kinds of categories. Like, okay. is this educational? Like, or is yeah. it you know, e-learning? Yeah. So that's actually interesting. So entertainment. Yeah, totally. Like that's a pretty common tagging model, right? So that the reason I asked the question is because tagging has been solved like a million times yeah. over. And if you're sticking to a fairly common model, then you immediately know in the meeting, like, okay, cool, move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's no special tech strangeness going on there, right? I wonder if there's an API or something we could tap into to get to iTunes categories. Well, what's interesting is if we do that, we can automatically append the categories in the RSS generator. Right. So that it, so we don't have to Well, actually theoretically the category will just be an attribute on the on the row for the show mm-hmm. in the shows table, right? So, so it'll we'll, be mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be auto added to the feed generator. Yeah, from that. And and that's the other thing I was thinking about as well. Okay, so here's a question. How frequently do you want feeds to refresh? As a podcast network owner, let's pretend you have 10 shows. Let's go to the max. As a freelancer, you'll typically go to the max when you're doing analysis. Like, go to the max and Mm -hmm. then tell me, what do you think? Well, this is um, how often, like, if I publish an episode onto the site, how often you would push a new update to iTunes? Yeah, so that what what plays into a uh, this answer for you is how frequently you do episode publishing, what cadence you might do it on, and, what, and how how strange the cadence might be, and then also, uh, you know, I've obviously based on your answer to that, I come away and say, okay, well, I need to write a script that pulls mm-hmm. uh, and and refreshes and does all this other stuff, right? Well, I think at least every day. I mean, ah, uh, okay, right? I mean, but, it, but it, once a day or twice a day? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question because what if I publish an episode? you know, on the 25th hour and there's 23 more hours before the algorithm is going to pick it up and refresh the iTunes feed. So the way that we would, from and speaking as a web developer again or freelancer, I would probably say the immediate way that I would handle that is, you know, you would have some kind of a delayed job running every day just to kind of do the daily uh, updates and the daily feed refresh. But as a business owner, you need a way to sort of say, hit the red button. I want to refresh everything now. Okay. 
So I think on the admin console, there should be two buttons, one that says refresh any feeds that have changed in the past 48 hours, and then a button that says refresh the whole shebang. And then after we do a feed refresh, all we have to do is go out to our CDNs and then clear all the clear the cache, right? So clear the cache out of the CDN and then iTunes will make a request back through the CDN. The CDN will make a request to new files instead of cached copies. Right. And then it will serve and that should happen within one to three hours. So as a business owner, you could potentially have a podcast up from the click time, you know, within one to three hours. So is it possible? I mean, is it... I actually have a lot of specialized knowledge in this area. I feel like that's not what normally is going to happen. So just to premise that. Okay. I mean, why wouldn't we do something automatically? So couldn't there be a program that ran every hour and just said, hey, is there a new episode? If there's a new episode, then refresh this one feed. Not all 10 feeds, but just this one. Sure. So like, I think what you're asking about is more like a developer debate. In a way, yeah. because like the, the 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 way to handle that type of a polling is still kind of up for debate. I mean, lo- logically speaking, like as a business owner, would you uh, potentially not want that red button there that says regenerate everything? Because I think you're going to you're going to look back at your business and be like, oh, you know what? I definitely want that button there just in case. Like if everything else breaks, I still want that button there, right? Like so well, the, the fact that the button exists I guess, means we really shouldn't do the two-hour polar. <laughs> I want from somebody who does a podcast and who has to, you know, who sure. does these things. Like I don't, there's, there's so many moving parts and so many things to take care of. I just want it to happen automatically. I don't want to have okay, to push another so, button. Okay, so the button would be for worst case scenario, right? Like if you, so here's what I envision is there would be a a feed regenerator on episode creation. So when you create an episode in the database, the feed would regenerate and that would solve most problems. But then I think there would be a daily regenerator just to kind of catch if something bad happened and we didn't notice because theoretically in the time between cash on your site cash on a cdn and cash on itunes it's very unlikely that we'll notice an error well in, i was in all that cash. i was thinking about that like if i publish a podcast episode that has an error in it how quickly do i have and how much time do i have to go back and like fix some spelling errors before it's going to end up in the itunes description you have potentially some time. So the the way that obviously that works is iTunes makes requests at an indetermined amount of time that they won't tell anybody. So they make requests to the feed to get updates at these whatever hour. It might be one hour, right? Like nobody knows. And they won't tell anybody. So they make the request. Uh, the CDN serves cash usually, right? So you'll be all good. The CDN will return cash. But what you want to do is you want to uh, make your change like, oh, I published a mistake. Go in, make the change real quick, hit submit again, then uh, go out to your CDN, clear the cache so that iTunes actually picks up the correct copy this time. Is there a way that, to programmatically that, do that? So maybe that's why you would need a button to say, hey, update the feed. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, this what you're describing is a case where uh, like to programmatically sort of uh, well, so you're you're gonna have to log into your CDN. So I mean, do we need you know, a CDN? Well, I was under the uh, you know this was all under the assumption that you would. Obviously, you might not. In which case, n- you wouldn't need to log into your CDN, and you could do it programmatically. I don't know. I, I would, but you would. I would, you would use recommend this, I would recommend a CDN. Yeah, okay. because just cost, right? I mean, serving stuff on. Like, like, here's an example. Serving all of these files on Heroku would cost like 
let's say $2,000 and then using a CDN with Heroku could reduce your cost to 400 a month and then a CDN of like roughly $70 a week. But we're talking, are we talking just about as an example. serving the media, the, the, the audio files so, or just, the, just yeah. the images and the feed? So we're talking about a CDN hopefully or some external service yeah. serving uh, two end users, the, the images, the feeds uh, separately. Those are two separate zones, and then also um, the the audio content. Okay, right. I mean, unless you're telling me as a business owner, potentially you want the audio content to not be served from a CDN. Well, you know, I, there are services like Lipson and SoundCloud that would do it for cheap. I mean, cheap compared to four hundred dollars a month. Right. I, that, I was just describing an example where you know there's like a thousand podcasts right like that okay. was just a crazy example okay but sure so just to scale pro- yeah but i agree with you like totally um so you're saying as a business owner you might use libsyn or one of those services and then okay i think so i mean for 10 podcasts i don't think it's something that we have to worry about i, I don't know you know I, okay so would you use soundcloud or libsyn um probably soundcloud so then what integration functionality do you want and how do you want that to work that is a question of like what sort of admin functionality you want Mm -hmm. um obviously because like the problem with having third-party services help out is there's a lot of like logging in and logging out and going to a new service and and let's say we have 10 podcasts all 10 podcasts drop on one day you're gonna have to log in and out of 10 soundcloud accounts (laughs) right that would be frustrating Uh, you know the only way around this is if we auth all these accounts with our sort of back-end application, the back office app of this, whatever the back office of this app is, mm-hmm. and then we can auth all those accounts and you can push to them all individually like in some kind of nice UI. Oh, wow. You mean to grab the API for... Oh, yeah. All we do is we make a handshake request with yeah. SoundCloud and they return an access token that we store on the record and then we can access it anytime. And we can just push new for files some... directly there. Yeah, for some limited amount. It's like 48 hours. Then it triggers a, another yeah. sort of login. But yeah. That totally. seems complicated for, I mean, yeah. I think it's up that to you from a business. Yeah, I don't know. Right. I, I think it's not that big a deal to log in to, to a, um, because okay. presumably these podcasts aren't going to all hit on the exact same day at the exact same hour. Um, so that's right. So you're saying because of that, obviously it distributes the workload. It's not a big deal. I think so. Yeah. I think I it would, it's, I think it's perfectly fine that I could go to. And so I would want to maybe go to SoundCloud, upload the media file that has all the correct, what do they call them? MD3 tags or whatever. Is that what they M- are? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, the audio files, they have tags with the author and title and all that kind of stuff, track number, stuff like that. Anyway, um, I would upload the, the audio file to SoundCloud, and then I could just grab the um, the URL for that file. The yeah, and then I would bring that URL back to the system that we're building, the website, and input that, and then that would become part of the RSS feed that we generate, and then it would also be listed on the website where people could click to download the audio. So hang on. So then. The the complication with using SoundCloud is the following. If we don't build a custom integration in the back end that allows you to post episodes to SoundCloud, then what that means is when you upload an episode to SoundCloud, you come back to the back end application, you uh, put 
the SoundCloud URL in some kind of field. And then in the program code or in the like sort of application layer code, I guess, we have to um, go out to SoundCloud to get the media file, to get the raw MP3 files to actually in the like metadata to put in the to put in the feed so you know because unless you enter all that data manually yeah uh so so would you do it manually because if if not programming that and programming the auth thing it, it's the same thing so what do you say what do you say about hmm. that? i don't know would you enter all that data manually well I, so I guess instance, I don't know which data. SoundCloud, so here's an example. So you go to SoundCloud, you're like, okay, so this episode has a guest. Um, you know, this episode has a description. It's not that much data, right? Like, so the episode has a title, description, all the data that n- you now enter into Libsyn. Uh-huh. Imagine entering all that data every time into a back-end application. Yeah, I don't actually enter any data into Libsyn. Sorry, I meant PodPress. Or, r- <laughs> sorry, I meant into our website. You enter a title. Yeah, you enter a title. Yeah, it's literally like like doing a blog post. So I enter the title, and in the title I include the episode number, and then the description, and then within that admin screen I can link to a file, an external audio file, which is when you link to – currently we're using Libsyn, so I link to Libsyn. And then um, it actually pulls in information about that audio file to add i think it pulls yeah. that information and like, adds it to the feed and so it pulls in yeah, how how long is the episode how yeah. many and seconds? the reason it does that is because if you don't put a duration on the atom feeds the atom rss feeds going to itunes when you preview when you like actually go to a url for a podcast and it shows that little preview page and you try to click play it won't let you play the episode unless it knows the duration oh weird so it's little things like that and and the problem with like uh, you juxtapose, or the problem with us juxtaposing the current functionality is the current functionality has like a lot of program code that we don't have starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, potentially either we do need to. Bi- so, what they built is they built a, a Libsyn scraper. Like they, you put in the Libsyn MP3 file yeah. or something, and like it goes to Libsyn and somehow comes back with some kind of API data. Well, uh, maybe have, not. Unfortunately, maybe not. Okay. What, what if? Well. What if it just? I mean, I, I don't put that, any of that data into Libsyn, so it, probably what it does is all it's doing well, it is reading do that is reading that that metadata on the audio file itself. Because, okay, so let's step back. As I'm producing the audio file, I hit save, and then before I export the file into an MP3, I enter all the metadata for that file, which include episode number, you know, show title, the authors or whatever, um, and like a couple other things, and so. PowerPress must be pulling that information off of the audio file itself and then reading the audio file to check for length. So what I'm getting at is as a freelancer, the scope of that is undetermined Mm. to me and not quite able for me to grasp because I'm not quite sure of how they're doing that. Mm -hmm. So um, you tell me either you really want that type of a feature or you want to enter all that data manually. You want to look at SoundCloud. It's a minute and 30 seconds. Enter that into the back end. Uh, if you want to do that, then cool, we can move on. But if not, then I guess as a freelancer, you would have to kind of uh, write that down and go away and come come back with some research, right? Okay. And so the alternative would be in the admin section, I would we would just need to have a separate – for each episode, we would have to have a section for – podcast or like episode number and then we would have to have an episode a section for yeah you'd have an attribute you'd have to have a few attributes attribute for all yeah mm-hmm. okay 
A few various well, things. Not, not too much, many, though. really. Yeah, Title, like description, yeah. author. But that some of that can be pulled programmatically from the data previously entered. Yeah. Like the show page stuff. And it's really not that hard to auth with SoundCloud. The only problem is you do need to auth with SoundCloud on an account-specific basis. So it is going to be kind of a pain in the butt for you from a UI perspective, no matter what you do, even if we build this into the admin. You know, it's not that hard to send SoundCloud an auth request and then get back the latest episode. Okay. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe, you know, if, if, if I was really freelancing here, I would probably say, like, let's kind of skim over this topic and come back to it after okay. we've done more research. Okay. <laughs> because, like, literally, you could look at the API documentation. It takes 10 minutes to integrate. And that changes the business decision that you make mm -hmm. because it allows you to, to expand what you thought was previously possible. Uh, right? Like you previously thought, oh, you know, the integration is going to take a long time. That's kind of yeah. like a V2 thing. What if I said it takes 10 minutes? That changes your entire perspective. Like, right. So it is important to think like that as a freelancer. Okay. So what I guess you agree? initially, yeah, initially I would say, you know, let's not worry about scraping the audio file for the metadata. Let's just add the appropriate, the appropriate attribute fields for each episode that I need to fill in to make sure that we have a complete RSS feed. Okay. Um, and then I will add that information manually for each episode and then find, I guess I need to find the audio length, uh, as it is, you know, as it's represented in SoundCloud or whatever. Okay. So we'll go with that assumption for V1 and maybe say like some further integration is maybe a V2 type feature sure, for, sure. for now. Okay. Yeah. Usually in a conversation like this as a freelancer, you have to realize that, you know, I'm speaking to the audience right now, obviously. Like, so they, they you have to realize that, um, these conversations are subject to change. And as a freelancer, when you first start getting clients, you really get upset when you discuss something and mm. then it changes dramatically. <laughs> but you have to always keep in mind, like these initial conversations are sort of like uh, stargazing. Yeah. And also... It's like honing in, really. Like yeah. as, as you have yeah. more... Conver and I, this happens all the time. As you have more conversations with the client, you're honing in on their primary idea. Yeah. And so it's kind of in their mind, like in their mind, it's it's in flux still. Like, whereas yeah. you will take what they said initially as gospel and you're just like, that's what I'm going to build. That's what you told yeah. me. That's what I'm going to build. You're visualizing it. And it's okay to do that because as a developer, you're visualizing it in your head. Like, mm -hmm. okay, I can see how that's going to fit together. That, you know, the, the logic is building itself in your head building itself yeah and the thing that is also challenging is when you come away from a conversation like this and the developer and the client comes back and says something he wants that's even grander mm -hmm. than all of the stargazing that happened in that first meeting that can be very frustrating because the first meeting sort of lays the groundwork and, and it's okay to undershoot but if you if somebody comes back with something way over you you immediately are kind of thrown yeah um so keep that in mind as a freelancer don't let that tip you uh, like as in don't let that let you fall over like yeah. totally you know communicate with the client like i've literally had to have tense conversations where i'm like you know, like you didn't bring that up, dude. And we, you know, you don't say dude, but like you, you kind of <laughs> just have to tell them straight up, like you didn't bring that up in the first meeting we build and, and we've submitted a contract for such and such. Yeah. You've signed and agreed on it, you know, whatever. Absolutely. And, and those, I mean, they don't have to be intense meetings, right? I mean, they could just be sure, matter of don't. fact, right? Yeah. I, because, did, I didn't mean to say intense. I just meant tense, like a oh, little yeah, tense, right? For sure. I mean, anytime yeah. there's conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't want to let people just run over you. Totally. If somebody, yes, if, yes, dude. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. So if you have a scope of work, um, verbal and, and it should be in writing, 
even yeah. a very simple outline is better than yeah. nothing. And often, here's a tip, call it a gentleman's contract. If a client is turned off by you submitting a one-page contract, you know, tell them, that, like, come across as the casual developer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there is a brand, there is a way to do that, like, without making things super formal. Mm-hmm. I think you've done it yeah. a couple of times. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, yep. exactly. And then and then you can go back to that. And he's like, well, you know, yep. that is different. That functionality is different than what we talked about. And I'm happy to do that for you, but it's not within the scope of this project right now. Yeah. And here's another tip. Lay things out in the contract in version increments and stop at the version that your contract stops at, at the, at the point at which they stop paying you, stop the version increments. And then when they come back to you with a feature request, that's too big. Simply look at the spreadsheet, convert this all to a spreadsheet with version requirements Mm -hmm. and then tell them, uh, okay, there's no slot for that. All the versions are incremented. You know, all the versions are filled up with the currently existing features and the scope's locked in. So we can add that to the end. That's version 2.0.1. You know, we stopped at two. So, you know, you'll have to reinitialize a, a contract with us if you want to do that. Yeah. Like that will immediately shut your client yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. And and this uh, this conversation probably won't happen for most simple websites. I, it won't happen for most simple websites, right? Well, I think so, it will, man. I think, uh, you know, I think the concept of expectations not being met and change, like as a developer, yeah. I had all yeah. these kind of strange expectations of what, I mean, you know, I just kind of said screw it to them, right? But some mm-hmm. people really are like stuck in them. And, you know, I like the first time you work with a client, it's totally different than you think, yeah. right? Like it could be super informal and friendly. And then because of that, there's an issue at the end, or it could be super formal and scare you and freak you out and like feel weird and like not you and you don't feel right there. And like all this like weird stuff kind of comes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it, it's not bad. It, because this is what you want to do. Web development is what you want to do. And it involves dealing with clients totally. if you're freelancing and maybe not if you're just, if you have a career, if you know, if you're going to have yeah. a career, right? Yeah. Um, but I still think that most, if not all web developers should experience freelance even at some point, even if you intend to, um, even if you intend to work for somebody else, yeah. it's something that's important to kind of understand. It rounds out your thought too, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to think about things that you wouldn't in a job. For sure. So, um, and one point though, that I did want to circle back to before we get to the other stuff is, uh, you mentioned, don't let yourself get, uh, trampled on or something like I've seen that so many times. Mm -hmm. I have a really good buddy in Chicago. Who's a great, one of the best developers I've ever seen in my life and has the most potential out of any Mm -hmm. developer I've ever met in my entire life. And he, has clients tons of clients but like he's hosting all of their servers and he just like he is kind of chaotic because their requests are constantly badgering him and he's like submitting to sort of their pecking like of requests and like not really you know he hasn't set up any formalized processes Mm. he he basically hit the point where all of his work became so much that he became a slave to it yeah. instead of like the owner of it. So right. he, so as a freelancer, so often you find that like you'll start doing something and then you have to say, holy shit, I'm getting kind of beaten up by this. Like be it a task or a client or a person or a contract that you don't understand how to write. And you have to kind of like rise up yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And you might have to disappoint people. And I mean, the flip side is that you might have to do things for people that you didn't want to do if you didn't set correct expectations. I think the big lesson here is boundaries. You know, not, I mean, it's, we all know it's important to have boundaries in relationships, but yeah, 
this extends to work relationships and work projects as well. And that's where the contract comes in. It sets some boundaries uh, for the project. And I think those are really important. And you can, you know, there's there's ways to set client expectations as well. You know, like maybe if you're designing the website as well as building it and Mm-hmm. then you could say, you know, you go through the initial process, kind of find out what they want to do, come to them with the design and then give them and just make this up front in the contract. They'll have three client revisions of the design. Yeah. Anything after that must be put in the contract. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if, if there's an initial design, they can have three revisions or two revisions or whatever you want to do. Yeah. And then any revision over that, it's not like they can't continue, but any revision over that is like a hundred bucks or 200 bucks each or whatever you want to yeah. make it. Yeah. And, the, and here's the, the, tr- like the tip inside of that little morsel of knowledge that Keith just dropped is like people do not write revisions or, or cycles or feedback loops, whatever you want to call them. People do not write them in contracts frequently enough. Oh my I've gosh, seen a yeah. lot of freelancers mm-hmm. and this one particular person I'm speaking about as well does not write revisions and feedback loops yeah. and, and solidified timelines in his contracts. And because of that, the projects go on forever. He always feels as though he's underpaid and the work that mm-hmm. he does is always way better than what he's getting paid for. Yeah. And, you know, the simple way to solve that is it's not a dick move. Put in your contract two feedback loops. Like, well, and it, it actually adds clarity clarity right. for the client as well it 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 forces them to solidify their thinking yes. because they know it's not unlimited but it's good for them too because they realize oh he's going to do this stuff and he's going to come back to me to get feedback and we're going to have this conversation about it so i can get exactly what i want it's a good thing for the client and yeah, what you're clarify. doing yeah. exactly it's clarification and so it's a good thing but you're just in the in the contract you're just going to say here's the fe- here's how the feed, feedback loop works but there's an end to this loop. Yeah. Let's and describe how a feedback loop works, right? So describe to me how your contracts lay out feedback loops or I can, whatever. Yeah. So it's for designs is typically three designs, like a business card design, right? Okay. Um, so what, what exactly does that mean? So they express their vision and we come back to them with typically a number of different designs. Okay. Anywhere from so what, that's three first, to five to, to that's 10. like the initial revision. Like that's before we get into revisions and yes. feedback loops. That's just the yes. first exploration. It's the, it's the first presentation. So we give right. that to them and we say, you know, what do you think? And they'll they'll yeah. usually they'll pick one. They'll mm-hmm. say, hey, we like that one, but yeah. we like something different. You know, we like we would like it to look a little bit different. And at yeah. that point, that's when we start the revision counter, and then we offer yeah. three revisions. And so yeah. they'll come back, and then we go back and forth, and then. You know, and it's in our contract. And so when they come back to us for the fourth revision, either we gently remind them or we don't need to if they're, you know, if we explained it to them initially or whatever. But yeah, or you just, you know, they kick you like a couple hundred bucks, whatever you've stipulated. Um, You could also stipulate that revisions past this amount need to be discussed further. You don't have to put a price on it immediately, but it does um, sort of... Actually, sometimes I would recommend to not put a price on the revisions because a client could look at that. And so here's the problem. As a freelancer, you're typically going to want to underprice everything that you do so that you feel like you stand out more. And the problem with that is if you do put a price on your revisions past the amount that you declare in the contract, you will probably write something like $50 to $100 per revision. Mm -hmm. And if you get a a client that's of any meaningful size, he will literally feel happy to do 100 revisions. Like if this is a 
site and a business or a logo or a design that's important to him, he'll do, you know, potentially five or 10. And that sucks. Like, so if you simply leave that out mm -hmm. and you just say revisions have to be discussed and agreed upon in another sort of billing cycle. Yeah. I mean, the flip side is that you make the revisions worth your time. If you're spending two hours of design time or, or development time or whatever to do each revision, then you just make sure that you're making money on that. Right. I get what you mean. Like if you're technically pricing at the amount that you should get paid, it doesn't matter. Or, they can do a hundred revisions and it would be fine because you're getting paid just as much as you feel. Yeah. Even better after that is you say after the third revision, we're happy to continue doing more revisions, but we'll charge you an hourly rate. So yes, but here's the realistic rea – that is a good idea. What you just said is actually a fantastic idea. But here's the realistic thing that I've seen is that people underprice in the first place. Like yeah. people underprice themselves freelancers, in the first place. Yeah. Freelancers, freelancers underprice. Yeah. New freelancers especially. And then also I guarantee you they're going to underprice that revision charge. So I'm yeah. just thinking realistically. But the thing is when you – simply by adding a dollar figure – I mean not everyone is going to be that big client that just throw money around. So well, simply by adding – this is important projects to people. I don't think throwing money around is a great, right? Like these, even if it's a small website, like for somebody, I think they would, they, you know, if the revisions yeah. aren't there yet, they'll go over because this is important. Like this is my, usually like clients are very adamant, right? About what they want. It's a, I mean, if it's a business owner, if, if it's a business owner, it's a cost yeah. benefit analysis. It's like, well, well are we close yeah. to our goal or are we, do we need to go ahead and pay for another revision? Right. It, sure. it, it, it mean, makes them think that through and have that conversation instead of just ramrodding these, all of these other, you know, yeah. revisions through. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting topic. I think we've covered it pretty well. And just yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, there's lots, yeah. I mean, there's some things to think about and you can just kind of play it by ear. But we would definitely recommend having some sort of you know deal in the contract yeah. for revisions or something. So okay, so jumping back into the role of like the freelancer asking you questions about the business. So so you've told me sort of the the general outline, yeah. right? At this point, I know the, the the entities. I know sort of kind of the UI that you're thinking about. You mentioned something about a grid, I think, and then uh -huh. you know I I kind of get it. So now I'm going to ask like, what is the any kind of big thing, a big hurdle, a big problem, a big uh, part of the business that we haven't talked about? Like what is something mm -hmm. big to you as a business owner that I haven't heard about? Well, we, we, we talked around it earlier. And one thing that's important to me is to make sure that we are generating or that we own our own RSS feeds. Um, uh, there are certain services, you know, there are services out there like Libsyn or SoundCloud that yeah. will host our files, but they'll also host our RSS feed. Yeah. But what happens if one of those services uh, goes belly up, then right. my business is literally tied to a sinking ship. So yes. I, I would rather, I don't know what kind of, what it would take to develop that to, to actually build an RSS generator in-house, but sure, I, I would be interested in exploring that and making sure that we can control um, that RSS feed generator just, just so that we um, don't have to rely on other people for the business, I guess. Okay, cool. And then as a, as a freelancer, I would do that analysis quickly, you know, and be like, okay, well, building an RSS feed isn't really a big deal. So that's not something to raise a red flag about. You know, again, these meetings for me as a freelancer, you know, it's typically or a consultant, it's typically about like how many red flags I want to raise, you know, because the more sort but of what's a red flag to you. So what I mean by the red flag is like, let's say you have a client that is having a conversation with you at the end of the conversation, you didn't really bring up any concerns. Mm. Uh, you're doing development with him two weeks before launch. You bring up a showstopper that you didn't see. Mm -hmm. That is on you. 
Like yeah. that's on you as a freelancer. That's a problem. The client should have known about it. You should have analyzed better and you should have seen it. Okay. Maybe not known. You shouldn't have known the answer because that's impossible perhaps until you get to the problem. But you should have raised a red flag to the client because the more that you can prompt uh, uh, um, something that you can't expect, the better uh, reaction you get from the client. Yeah. So you're talking about um, understanding your skill level and understanding like your exactly. experience in, yes. in this this exact project and and knowing what you're able to do and so exactly if, if the client saying. says something and you're like oh my gosh i have no idea even yeah, where to then, begin then that's a maybe that's a red you flag. should like step out of the meeting right like <laughs> maybe it's not for you i mean it, it if you can learn it then that's a different conversation right, right? so that's hard it's just How one of you, these yeah. Yeah, it's one of these weird things where like as a freelancer, I mean, you really have to do a gut check every time that you're in a client meeting. So what I would tell new freelancers is to say yes to every client meeting, mm -hmm. but not every project. Like Great be advice. rigorous, like be rigorous, hear mm -hmm. everybody out, get, get a lay of the land, accept mm -hmm. yes to everything, go to all the meetings. You're a new guy. It's not like you have productivity that you're not doing because you're in meetings. You're, you're just starting out. So like go to all the meetings and then you know, sort of in those meetings, you really have to do what I'm doing here is like uh, say to yourself, does that raise a red flag? Does that raise a red flag? Start writing these red flags down. Basically, uh, write all the red flags down. Bring them up to the client in the meeting. Definitely don't tell the client that you don't know what you're doing. But, but just get you more know, clarification. Say, yeah, get more clarification. Then go back and do an analysis. And then usually what happens with a client meeting like this is you'll go back and then you'll come back to them with I'm going to make a bid or not. Right. Right. And so you could choose to do that analysis and then realize you know what i'm just i can't build a distributed system like this and you step out right and that's totally fine yeah so we're, what we're talking about is is the project like kind of different stages of the project and your initial stage is going to be you know there's a client and they have something that they want to build and so you get with them to understand the project right that's the initial proposal uh, the initial meeting that we're talking about yeah that's the initial meeting yeah and so that's what we're having now exactly too. that's what we're playing yeah so in that meeting, don't accept the project. Yes. Right? Don't give prices. Don't accept yes. the project. That's actually Always, really every time you say, great, this is really important information. Right. Yes. I'm going to think about this and write up a bid for you. Yeah. Um, and I'll get back to you soon. And maybe yeah. give a date. I'll get back to you on Wednesday. Or Have you ever done that? Have you ever gave a price in a meeting, first meeting? No. Okay, so I have, right, because I started this <laughs> like a kid. And I totally agree. And that's one thing I'll – like I just had a meeting today with a really uh, green, like brand new sort of freelancer, mm -hmm. iOS freelancer. And I'm sort of mitigating his client relationships right now to help him focus <laughs> on development. And uh, the first thing I said when we were about to step into this meeting was like, don't say a price. <laughs> right? Because as a new freelancer, you're going to be like, dude, I could do that for $1,600. No biggie. Let's do it. Go. And you know, you could totally do that. And the client might accept it. And I totally did projects that way. And it was mm -hmm. fine in the end, whatever. But you know, Keith's advice is solid. Do not say a price in the meeting. Always say, you know, the client might press you. I've had clients press me like, what do you think? What is the general estimate that you would say? Like, just give me a ballpark mm -hmm. because, you know, your ballpark will help me, you know, either write this off right away or not. Yeah, but don't then, feel obligated to give that because you haven't had not. time to process yes. everything that you've just heard. You never you know. know. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. Yeah, well, maybe maybe you didn't experience a red flag in the meeting, but sure. when you get home and you're like processing and thinking about this project, you're like, holy cow, there's this thing, this functionality that is like, 
it's black huge. box. Yeah, exactly. And um, so just just never give a price. And just and yeah. you can just be totally honest with you. You know what? I I couldn't give you a price. I need to think about this more to really understand what you want to do. I will get back to you soon. Yeah, and this sort of concept of being pressured in these meetings, I keep mentioning the word pressured, and this is like a normal thing in the business world. People will poke at you. Mm-hmm. I found that quite a lot, like especially with a lot of like sort of corporate clients and and just even interacting in government and just even in private sector business. Like, you know, people do a lot of this sort of like intellectual prodding and sort of like playing, you know, like poking at each other. So for instance, the client might sort of nudge you to try and get a price like, oh, you know, come on, like you could, you know, we just gave you sort of an outline, give me a ballpark. And it just anytime somebody comes at you with that sort of an approach, I always find that being completely honest is the best, yeah. you know, not sort of going back at them with a ram's head sort of like little bit of, of tension instead, just, you know, flip the veil and be like, you know what, totally honestly, like, you know, this is these projects are very serious to me. And I, I definitely quote accurately. And to do that, I need to go away and like have some thought time. Yeah, I would say make sure you do that with confidence. Just like exactly. just like yeah, just like you did Dana, in that in that example there. That that was yeah. that was perfect. You don't want to be like, "You know what? I have no idea." Yeah. I'm oh, totally God, scared no. about this. I need to go think it through. Yeah. I may not yeah. take this. You know, just you just got to do it with confidence and just don't give any proxy. Away. Yeah. What I would say is like this is a weird way to put it, but proxy all of your insecurity with uh-huh. confidence. Mm-hmm. In the first couple meetings, especially if you are meet, uh, met with tension from the other side, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be on your game because what what they're doing, not so much trying to get a price from you, they're trying to judge you and see if you're the right fit. And if you're the type of person that just gives a random ballpark price or like kind of backs down from their sort of like aggression, like, you know, sort of like corporate aggression type thing like oftentimes they'll write you off as a potential freelancer right or a potential agency because you're not one that stands your ground when right they're you know because when you're building sites like this so frequently decisions are made that are very challenging and there's debates right and in order to have a successful debate you have to have people that stand their ground on both sides and f- still are able to find a common meeting ground so you have to show that in the first meeting in every little kind of way that you can mm-hmm yeah. That's just like a weird psychology thing, I think. For sure. You know, confidence goes a long way. Certainly. Yeah. So that's kind of the initial proposal meeting. Um, let's switch roles here. So I'm the developer. Dane, you're, you're in this project. So um, let's back up to the very beginning. Okay. So we want to rebuild our current starthere.fm website. Yes, we do. We want it to be different. We started the whole thing with the mindset that we might branch out and, and add other shows. So right now we're doing web development and we've thought about um, adding other shows. And so right now our design doesn't allow for that. And there's a number of things that we're not too happy with. Um, and so we want to uh, do an upgrade. We want to build a new site. So we wanted to take you through that process and show you uh, what it was like to go through the different uh, stages of a typical website project. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really exciting project. The concept of like taking all of the listeners along with us. And what what would you say is the coolest part to you? I mean, to me, the coolest part of like taking the listeners along with us is to have experiences and to be able to portray information like we just did. So like we just had a conversation where we were able to sort of pick apart little nuggets that happen in the middle of a meeting that you would never think of outside of it 
right? Like some of the stuff that I said, I feel like I would never really notice mm-hmm. or think about outside of that meeting. Yeah. So I feel like throughout this process, these people, uh, the listeners, uh, uh, you know, our great listeners will get a lot of like morsels like that out of, you know, when we're doing perhaps um, development conversations, right? Like there mm-hmm. will be things that come out of that that only the context of a 30-minute conversation can produce. Yeah. So we want to bring you into these conversations. Um we just kind of had an initial proposal and we're going to hash out a few more things, I think, because there's some things about the project that I, I think we need to make clear. And then we're actually going to write up a proposal, a quote to ourselves uh, for for building this site. And we're going to even attach a price to it. So hopefully you will you will know um, from this conversation, you will kind of get an idea of the scope of the project and then what we would actually quote to build that. Yeah, we do have a little bit more sort of back-end development type features that we didn't discuss tonight. I think there's some administrative type things that me and Keith want to be able to do that, you know, maybe we didn't get to dive into tonight. But um, in the price, we will reflect all that. So I think, you know, what we can kind of think of this as as open sourcing the freelancer process in a way. So like we want to open source that and like by providing the proposal document that we would propose to a company like us and the price, I think, you know, we help, you know, we're outlining that. So any potential freelancers, you know, if you're judging a project that's about the same size as this or less, and you'll know soon with this document, um, you know, you could potentially use that as a starting point Yeah, for, for pricing. Yeah, we hope. Yeah, we hope that you could use the model. There's there's different stages of a project. I think the initial proposal was this time. We'll write. We'll do a formal proposal. Proposal, and then we'll have a, a we'll quote a price, and then you know we'll have a contract that the client could sign. Um, then after that, we we might go in and actually do more a more formal requirements gathering uh, process, which would involve um, a longer conversation with the client, with ourselves apparently in this situation, and finding out exactly like detailed what what the uh the application or the website should do after that we might go back and do mock-ups and wireframes and this process is probably going to be more of an agile process i mean that's that's kind of as, as web developers i think for this kind of project that's how we would probably do it where um we work a little bit on it and then we take it back to the client and say hey how does this look and then we you know we kind of a a back and forth yeah, uh, for the mockups and the wireframes, and then we would take those. The next stage would be to use a style guide and actually come up with some design. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the next stage after mockups and wireframes is when things start to get very agile. So the mockups uh, and wireframes, going back and forth to the client a bunch, that's awesome, right? Like that's super. That's kind of an agile thing. That's that's also sort of a waterfall thing, but. The, the style guide and the, the development, those two can be done in parallel. Mm-hmm. So often when you'll get to this point, you'll start spinning up parallel resources. So like I'll start, I as the, de- you know, let's pretend I'm the backend developer, you're mm-hmm. the designer. Sure. I know all the entities because we've discussed in depth the requirements. And so I theoretically know what the database structure is going to be like, what the data model is going to yeah. look like, what the API is going to be like, et cetera. I have a good week and a half of work or, you know, depending on complexity, a couple days of work, whatever. Uh, that I could get started on. And at you as the designer, you know as well from all those mock-ups. What it's like, look like. Yeah, yeah, you're ready to go. Like, So we both can get started. For sure, exactly. So after the, the mock-ups and wireframes, pretty much you could have a designer working on it and a developer working on it, a back-end developer, to um, build build it together. Mm-hmm. So, 
and that's what they mean in agile when they say cross-functional teams right so they mean the developer comes in the the designer comes in the client might come in and out and the front-end developer when he's ready he comes in and out as well so for this project for rebuilding it we talked about you know we want to be able to host uh, multiple shows each show needs to have multiple episodes we want to host our own rss feed um we want to have hosts, right? So each show should be able to have any number of hosts attached to it, and each episode should be able to have any number of guests attached to it. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. Beyond that, we need a design. I don't know, Dane, uh, do you have ideas for what kind of a design? Have you thought about that much? Um, Apparently not. So we need some sort of design. I mean, I have some ideas. I mean, I we obviously I think me and you both have enough ideas to do wireframes. Yes. I, you know, I certainly have like five versions of ideas of how a network could be laid out on the page. And so For do sure. you. Yeah. So yeah, mockups are easy. If you start thinking and saying the word design, then it gets way murkier. Yeah, I'm getting like no, color I, and style yeah, and you know, that, all that is all stuff. foreign to me right now. Yeah, and so. Um, as a client, I'm gonna want, I'm gonna want the the team to take care of that for me. So, Dane, I want I want you to work out a design and provide me some sort of a maybe an initial style tile that can show me different ideas for some designs, and and then eventually a you know a full style guide that I can see elements and what they might look like. Well, so um, I would actually break the wireframes and mockups and style guide process up. So the way yeah. I would do it is I would do. And it, we do we do it this way currently. So the way, and I found it to be nice is we do a uh, requ- formal requirements given gathering process, and then a, a, a information, uh, sorry, a hierarchy diagram. Uh-huh. So yeah. literally, what is the hierarchy of the content? Uh-huh. Because a lot of the corporate clients that we deal with have content. Lots I mean, of content. We we aren't dealing with startups that are like dynamic data a lot, right? I mean, these sites are very content heavy and so you know that's important and then we go to this process of okay so now let's do information architecture only Mm -hmm. so this is mock-ups drawing little squares the squares are not allowed to have color they're not allowed to have design they're allowed to look shitty as possible but Mm -hmm. the point is like where does everything go yeah once the client solidifies that you know that has to be solidified at like 80 percent for development to start i think yeah and then as soon as that's solidified we can start moving into a phase of like showing color swatches and like how those color swatches might blend with the brand's logo and in keeping everything off of the site there's no color on the designs yet the site has no color it's just all little boxes and basically we're looking at what patterns and what colors types match this brand and, and what do they even like do they like green and blue or do they like red and yellow like what is this business about like what you know and we come yeah. at it from like a color psychology perspective too and that's and that's very much in the realm of a designer and neither, yep. neither Dan or i are designers and so sure. um as as developers if we were going to build this project we would wholeheartedly like accept and build this project but we would outsource the design to someone else Correct. We would definitely outsource. So let's just define it exactly. We would outsource the mock-up. So everything in between the mock-up creation phase and the 
um, PSD phase all the way to the end of the PSD phase, we would outsource. And we might even as freelancers manage subcontractors and Uh manage client communications, but sometimes not. Sometimes we, you know, there's a designer that you're working with closely and they communicate everything with the client and that's fine. But you know, there is a lot of communication that happens in that first month, I would say, or first Mm -hmm. week or whatever. And that's a, that's a, that's a really critical part to get correct. Um, yeah, so I I would say yeah. it, it, for this situation, I would probably take the um, approach of project manager, and I would whether I had an in-house designer, a friend designer, or a freelance designer, I would um, I would just present those as our as our designs, essentially. Right. Right. You know. So to create a to create a um, a cohesive. Um, of course, experience yeah. For the I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't mean the client would know all of the ins and outs of your business, right? No, but like in some would... cases, that that is a legitimate way to do things. You know, if you have a kind of a co-op, ex, you know, type experience with your developers and designers and all these different people. Well, you, yeah, totally agree. That's a possibility. But yeah, you have a lot of options here as a freelancer. Now, now here's an interesting question. I know this conversation is going on forever, but. What is a so a lot of people that listening to are listening to this are not designers and they do not know how to manage people perhaps and they also let's make the assumption that they don't know how to find source and manage subcontractors for uh-huh. design. Uh-huh. Now, how do you get a client and get a freelance contract that theoretically always begins at design if you don't know design? How does that even work? Hmm. How can you do it as a developer, maybe without a designer? What would you do? Scrappy. Like, how would you do it if you were uh-huh. being scrappy? So I would, I would do the mockups and wireframes myself, the whole thing. Got it. And then I would. Let's say you didn't have the. I know you know how to use Photoshop, and I think maybe you're potentially a talented designer in no. like a, a hidden. I feel like there's some part of you that you're not like revealing that is maybe a potential designer one day. You know, I'm an iterative designer. So if there's okay. something there, I can yeah. build off of it. Okay. Um, some but... people aren't even that, right? They can have no concept of color. Okay. Fair, fair enough. So... Yeah, like I said, I would I would build the mockups and the wireframes and I, I would I would have to go to the client and talk about color and, mm-hmm. you know, um, logo and stuff like that if they didn't have a logo oh man um no they let's say they do okay right? good. like this is a business they just want a software product okay then what i would do is i would look at their existing um their existing brand their logo yeah. their color structures if they have an existing website the existing website and i would have a conversation yeah. with the client about um you know if we're replacing a website i would say okay well what about this design do you like what about it do you not like yeah. Show me, you know, send me a link to five other websites around the web that you really like, um, or or just elements about those sites that you like, color yeah. or design or you know functionality or something. Yeah. And then I would get those and I would have to collate them into some sort of a deal. Or if I could, I would pass those on to a designer and say, here, here's everything yeah. I know about this website and the design and stuff. Come yeah. up with something for me. And I feel like a lot of the times on these freelance websites and forums and stuff and this is a lot of the places that new freelancers go is online right so Mm -hmm. one of these one of the common themes in those areas you'll see is people that have ideas that they want executed that are not website redesigns that are not priority business decisions Mm -hmm. or priority business things sometimes they are but they're totally but they're typically like 
a, a guy wants to create a startup and he needs a freelancer that works kind of cheap, but like not too cheap, you know, and like he's, he kind of knows what he wants, but he kind of doesn't. And he doesn't really care about design. He just wants it to work. Mm-hmm. And like, he wants to test the idea. And, and then you'll also find people obviously looking for legit freelancers that are going to build a business property. So like you have serious stuff too, yeah. but I mean, what I'm getting at is oftentimes you don't need a designer. I think you can well, do this with, you know, sort of what you said, Keith, is critical. Like, I think you can look at their current properties, ask them, do you want something that matches this or do you want something different? Sort of get the mm-hmm. theme idea that they want. Think of it like a theme, right? Like what kind of color theme do you want and all yeah. this? And and then you could literally use, you know, maybe foundation or bootstrap and then start replacing their colors in, in those libraries with the theme. And I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if you don't want to create new elements, uh, like new design elements yeah. and stuff, you know, do that. Pick Bootstrap or Foundation or UI Kit or something, and then literally just change out colors. And not only that, like it's easier than it sounds. Like we're describing because there's websites that are like Bootstrap Theme Picker dot. <laughs> like I don't know what the dot com is exactly, but yeah. Google Bootstrap Theme Picker, and oh, basically man. what you can do is you can go in there and set all the colors that yeah. your design that your client wants, and then export the. CSS. I don't know how much I'm behind this this idea of using stock bootstrap, but it is a way to get going. No, it's not stock bootstrap, right? It's what do you mean like what you're not behind the idea of using stock bootstrap? Well, I mean if you're talking about using the same I mean, disregarding color, there's a certain amount of of like shadows, drop shadows, you know. Uh, border rate, you know, radius for different yeah, things. Yeah, so there's so, a certain theme. Like you're it's a style. Against, it's a style guy. You're against that style entirely. I'm talking. I'm about not against freelance. the style. I'm just against right. using the stock bootstrap style over and over again. Right. Right. It's Even used if you so the color. much. Well, no. Right. It is, but it's used so much because it's so easy, and so many people don't know design, and they need to execute. Yeah, software. I think it's a great place to start. Yeah. And then iterate from there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would literally say if you're a new freelancer, don't worry about any of like the concerns that Keith just raised. I I, honestly, I feel like like if you start second guessing yourself, like, is this the right thing to use? Like you'll spend a year trying to pick like what theme looks less like a theme. You know know what I mean? You know, I I have to backpedal because I did just that thing on my first website. I just <laughs> remembered. I did. I used UIKit, uh, getuikit.com, and I literally did exactly what we just talked about. You just talked about. That's interesting. I, yeah, t- I, I took mean, it. I used all their elements. I changed out the colors, and I made it work for the client. So, yeah. yeah you, I mean, you have to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah absolutely. you have to start somewhere. Yeah. So, there you go. And, and as you grow, you know, you'll grow out of that, right? Like, so, yeah. you know, you, if you go above and beyond and start doing stuff, styles and stuff that are outside of bootstrap like totally do it we're not saying like stick to doing only a framework like that's not what we're saying at all right like obviously we're saying do whatever you want but you know start somewhere that'll help you out a little bit Mm -hmm. so dan are there any other considerations for the starthere.fm website that we haven't covered that are important to us as clients of this new website project that we need to think about like us as business owners sure potentially there is you know some some standard things that we didn't bring up with the freelancer we want content pages mm-hmm. you know we want pages for people you know okay. but that uh, like a profile we, page 
a content page, but maybe like a media content page. So you, it could be like a, a single design almost that is the same for like an episode and a person, but like the content changes under it. Oh, okay. Or okay. something, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be like so crazy that I want multiple designs or, you know, basically right. what I'm doing right now is like from a business owner perspective saying the budget isn't that big. Yeah. So like, you know, the designer stuff can be simple. It's trying to consolidate it. But theoretically, if the budget was huge, I could say, you know, yeah, the page is totally different. But um, what do you think? Do you think like those types of pages are valuable? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. We have okay. to, we have, we need, we need some of those. So some standard, uh, typical contact pages. forms too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. About contact page. Forms, yeah. About page, that kind of stuff. Show page, episode page, pages for hosts. So if, if you're the, the freelance web developer here, when, when can you build it? What we just described. Yeah. Why are you, are you the client nudging me again? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like what, like how, okay. what, what kind of time frame are we talking about here? So I'm not going to answer this question as though I were a freelancer in a meeting because I would push back, right? I'm just going to answer it like me and you are, are talking on a podcast. So honestly, like if we're talking realistically, I just built this exact system and, you know, it took me about a week, Okay. right? I didn't do all the front end, uh-huh. right? So that might be another week, but this exact thing that we're talking about, and this is why I was able to bring up all these little tidbits is because like I just built this and it did take about a week. It was kind of weird, you mm-hmm. know, because you do have to worry about little edge cases formatting the feed to be like Atom compliant, which is like an sort of an, uh, like an upgraded RSS feed type that everything that accepts RSS also accepts or everything that accepts XML also accepts. And then you sort of have to build this XML document and it yeah. has to be exactly correct and all this other sort of issues like do you cache the feed locally and if so how does that work so you have all these weird little things um but what would your answer be you know if i built it in wordpress uh, all of the stuff that we talked about is really easy to do sure and yeah. i wouldn't have to build an rss deal because there's a plug-in the blueberry powerpress plugin that we currently use i would just continue sure. to use that because it does generate the rss feed um it. if i had the design if i had the, the psd the photoshop file for the design i could i could definitely do the whole thing in a week okay um, so we're both but, about the same yeah cool yeah got it uh we're not going to build this in a week because we are building it on a podcast yeah. and we both have full-time day jobs and part-time night jobs so <laughs> and a podcast yeah and a podcast so this is going to be a fun project well, that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. If you have questions about getting your first client or working with, as a freelancer, um, we'd love to help you answer those, seeing as how that's exactly what we're doing on the show right now and for the next few episodes. We would love to include that. So you can hit us up. The show page for this episode is going to be starthere.fm slash webdev slash 15. And you can leave a comment there or you can find us on twitter i'm at keith mon k-e-i-t-h-m-o-n and you can reach me at dane at starthere.fm if you want to reach out to me um that's d-a-i-n any communication on the site we love you know we we love to know where you guys are what your plans are sort of how we can best help you because you know we do feel like you know we're positioned to be able to help so the more insight that you guys give us the better anyway thanks guys yeah thanks bye
Yeah, and we're going to role play the conversation, and it's going to start today. That's right. <laughs> today. That sounded like a sales commercial or an infomercial. It now, now, now. 24 hours. Call, call, call.